we read some verses together from uh, Ephesians chapter 3? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. It was in all the confusion and anxiety, I suppose, of the resurrection day that the disciples went back as evening drew on and gathered together in the upper room. They locked the doors against intruders for fear of the uproar that was going on in the city, for fear that their lives, no doubt, must have been in danger and they gathered together to find comfort in each other's presence. And you know, of course, that the Lord Jesus came in amongst them. Doors were locked, but he came in and showing them the proofs of his resurrection, he assured them with the peace of his presence. But the purpose of his coming to them that night wasn't only to give them comfort for the here and now, it was to do that. And he assured them, he gave them reassurance of his presence with them. But it, it was more than about the present because he also assured them of his purpose for the future. You remember as he stood with them that he said to them, peace be with you as the Father has sent me so I am sending you. And uh, John goes on to record. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. The Father had sent him to a relatively um, narrow part of the world. He'd been sent primarily to one race of people, the people of Israel whom God had chosen for himself. And he came to them as their Messiah. He came to a relatively localised geographical place. He didn't particularly leave that 
Whereas the disciples were told in the first chapter of Acts that their mission field was to extend beyond Israel, through Samaria, to the Gentiles, to the ends of the earth. So it wasn't by reference to who they'd been sent or where they'd been sent to that their mission was to be similar to his. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending in the same way I am sending you. It wasn't by reference to the scope of the work that they were doing. They, like he, would become the vessels by which the grace and mercy of God would be communicated to humanity. In that sense, they were going as the Father had sent him. But in another sense too, they were going filled with the Holy Spirit. They were going empowered by the Spirit of God who had empowered the Son of God in his ministry. The work of the Holy Spirit was absolutely integral to the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Michael's taken us to Isaiah chapter 11 already this morning, to the prophetic promise that the Messiah who would arise out of the lineage of David, David's line having been cut down like a tree and yet a shoot would grow from that. It wasn't dead. There was life in it yet. And this shoot would grow out of the stump and it was the Messiah, the son of David. And he would grow out of it and a branch from David's roots would bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord shall be upon him. The prophets built on that and Isaiah himself builds on it in Isaiah 61 in the prophecy which the Lord Jesus took for himself in the scroll that he, he took in the synagogue at Nazareth and un, unrolled it and read it to all those that were gathered there. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. It was the Holy Spirit who descended on him, as you know, in the form of a dove as he was baptised, going into the waters of Jordan, committing himself to death. Baptism is a symbol of death. And as he went down into the waters of Jordan, he committed himself to die. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove. It was the Spirit in whose power he went out from that place into the wilderness to be tempted and in whose power he returned to Galilee. It was by the Spirit, John says in chapter 3, given without measure that he taught and spoke all the words of God. And Luke records, by his power he gave commandments to his disciples. Of the cross, the writer to the Hebrews says that he in the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. Of the tomb, Paul says in Romans 1, he was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. And of the throne, the Lord Jesus himself said, that it's to your advantage that I go away because if I go, then I will send him to you. And so just as he had offered himself in the power of the Spirit, as by the power of the Spirit he had taken up life again, so the sending of the Spirit is the evidence of his exaltation at the right hand of God. And throughout all his life, every morning, every day, every evening, here was one who in his service for God 
in his walk, in his mission, in his every facet of his life, he was filled with the Holy Spirit of God. So that as Peter stood in the household of Cornelius, preaching the gospel to Gentiles, he could say, God anointed him, Jesus of Nazareth, with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And now he's standing in the upper room. And the eleven are with him, petrified as they've been, no doubt, throughout the day. And now they're with him. And he breathes on them, saying, receive the Holy Spirit. Because the same one who had empowered him in his mission, in his ministry, he was promising would empower them too, as he sent them out on his behalf. This word that he breathed on them is a unique word in the New Testament. You don't find it anywhere else, but you do find it. I've been trumped already. You do find it in Genesis chapter 2 in the Septuagint, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And it's the word that's used to describe how God breathed uh, into the nostrils of Adam. And Adam became a living soul, a living creature seems to me there's a real connection between those two things. In fact, there is a connection in the Hebrew language that God breathing in and the idea of Adam being a living soul, it's literally a breathing one. And so there's a vital connection between the breath that God imparts into Adam and the life which is instigated within the dust that had been collected by God's hand. That the breath which comes from God is the basis on which Adam becomes alive. This isn't just biological life, is it? This is, this is real, vital, spiritual life that is imparted to Adam as the breath of God is breathed into him. And so as by the breath of God, Adam became a living creature, so it is by the work of the Holy Spirit that you and I have become new creatures by the work of of the Lord Jesus and by faith in him. Paul speaks about that to Titus. He says, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not by works done by us in righteousness, but by washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Saviour. When you got saved, when the work of the Spirit in your heart regenerated you. It was as if the breath of God was being breathed into those, you, me, who were dead in trespasses and sins, who, whose nature was as the dust of death, subject to death, condemned to death, and yet by the work of the Spirit in you, God breathed life that you and I might become new creatures, new creations in Christ. And so it's by that work of grace, by that saving grace, that this same power who was at work in the Lord Jesus in his life and ministry is brought to be a power at work in us because of the work of salvation, because of that work of renewal by which we've been made new creatures in Christ. Now you come to Ephesians chapter 3. And Paul is praying for the Ephesians that the power 
that has been imparted to them in the person of the Holy Spirit, that this power and the experience of this power would be their lived experience. The reality, the daily reality of their Christian lives. The working of that power wouldn't begin and it wouldn't end in things that the world would consider powerful. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be begin or end in signs and wonders and things that would astonish, things that would appeal to the senses. That's not, that doesn't come into what Paul's praying for them in Ephesians chapter 3. It would begin unseen in what Giles has described to us as the inner being, the inner man. The spiritual being which was formed in us when we believed. And the essence of this work would be that we're strengthened. This is about the Holy Spirit imparting strength to your inner being. What's the measure of that strength? How much strength does he impart to you? Well, Paul says the measure of that strength, it should be according to the riches of his glory. That's the measure of the strength which he wants to impart to you and me by the work of the Spirit within us. In chapter 1, Paul's already spoken about um, how we've been forgiven our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And the riches of his grace are such that all our trespasses are forgiven. So it's unending. It's unlimited. And earlier in chapter 2, he speaks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. The riches of Christ which are beyond understanding, which are beyond measure, which are beyond searching out. And now he comes to this point of strengthening. He says, I want you to be strengthened in the inner being according to the riches of his glory. It's unending. So there's no limit to the strengthening by which Paul is praying that we be strengthened. And the purpose of this strengthening he says, is that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That that might begin a process in you by which the outcome of that process is that you and I are filled to all the fullness of God. Our lives, our beings, are much more than physical bodies, aren't they? We have physical bodies. They're a vehicle for us to get around. But you're much more than that. I can't see in your body where your mind is. I can't understand in your body where your will is. You have a spirit, you have a soul. So the human being who's been created wonderfully, fearfully created by God the creator is an extraordinary thing of proportions which I can't understand because I can't even see the proportions of who you are. You're in, the reality of who you are, the extent of who you are, is invisible to me. And yet what I can know for sure is that even a human life, in, in all its fullness, in the extremities of my being, the, the, the most that I am, the most that you are, is utterly insignificant and incapable of holding of containing a guest whom the heaven of heavens cannot contain. 
And Paul is praying for them that by the work of the Spirit within them, by this power at work within them, they might be transformed and strengthened to hold Christ in their hearts through faith. That this process might go on with them, this transformative process might begin and go on with them to the end that they, you might be filled to all the fullness of God. And I can't, you can't wrap your head around that. The fullness of God should fit within me. That's incomprehensible. But it's the work of the Spirit of God. That's the power at work within you. We often quote verse 20, don't we, in reference to prayer meetings, that what God is able to do in answer to prayer. And there's no reason, I think, why we shouldn't quote that in that context. I just don't think what it's about. that's what it's about. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. This is about what God is able to do with your life. And he's able to transform your life in a way which is far beyond all that you could imagine. To transform us from those who, are, who were dead in trespasses and sins, to those who are filled to all the fullness of God. That's the power at work in you and the power at work in me. And so this work goes on, unseen in the inner being. But it has an outworking too. It doesn't stay unseen. Because when the Spirit is working within us, strengthening us, that Christ might dwell within us, that we might be filled to all the fullness of God, that shows out. And he goes on to say that you being rooted and grounded in love, and it seems to me he takes two analogies there. One is the tree, which is rooted, and one is a building, which is grounded, which has foundations. And the point, it seems to me, of both of those two things, the tree and the building, is that they, they depend on their anchors, whether it's the roots in the ground or the foundations in the ground, they're nothing without those anchors. And you and I, in our spiritual lives, in our Christian lives, are to be anchored in this, that the Spirit is strengthening us, that Christ might dwell in our hearts through faith. That's the anchor. But the tree grows out from the roots, and the building grows out from the foundations. And the tree grows out that it might bear fruit. And the building grows out that it might serve the purpose of the one who designed it. And the, the purpose of all this is that Christ dwelling within us through faith by the unimaginable power of the Holy Spirit might produce within us a fruit to God's glory. That we might answer the purpose which God has for you and for me in your life and mine. It involves apprehending the dimensions. Paul doesn't tell us what those dimensions are. We can have that debate afterwards, maybe. That you might comprehend, you might apprehend, you might lay hold of and take for yourself the height and length and breadth and depth. What is it of? Of the love of Christ? Of the mystery that he's been talking about? Of all the purposes of God? All these things. And that you might know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. God is bringing us into an experience by the work of the Spirit 
the power at work within us to lay hold of things which are beyond our wildest imaginations and to get to an understanding and a knowledge of things which we cannot understand or know. That's the effect of the power at work within us. It's the working of the Spirit to create a transformed life within us, a power that enables us to draw on the person of Christ dwelling within us through faith. And by that power, we who once were dead are filled with the glory of divine life and we're empowered and enabled as mere disciples to go out into the mission field, to go out into our work for Christ, empowered by the same one who powered him, empowered by the Spirit, that we, as mere disciples, might in some measure go out bearing the image of the Master. What a glorious prospect. And that's the power at work within you and within me.